Hello and welcome to In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'm going to be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. It's been a while since we've been able to catch up on the microphone as we've both been traveling and doing our own things. I've been super busy this last quarter, so it was great to catch up with my buddy Randall and just dig into what we've both been up to. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, the Hammerhead and the Hammerhead Carew 2 computer. Hammerhead's been a sponsor throughout the year, so I very much appreciate their support. I can't recall if I've ever mentioned this on the show, but in my early 20s, I worked for a bicycle computer company called Avocet, and at the time, Avocet introduced a product called the Vertex, which provided for the first time an elevation tracking device for a bicycle. It was quite game-changing, particularly at that time in the world of mountain biking, because it was so difficult to compare one ride to the other. I still, to this day, find vertical feet climbed or the vertical feet of a particular course or an event that I'm riding to be the most important fact that I need to have in my head in terms of preparing. So if you're going out to a a race or an event that has 8,000 feet of climbing, I know I need to put in the work across my training schedule. I find myself often thinking back to that as I enjoy the Hammerhead Carew too. I really very much enjoy the climber feature as anytime I update a course, or even now it's got the maps added in there in real time, I can see when I approach a climb exactly what is ahead of me, how long the climb is going to be in terms of miles, but most importantly, how much elevation am I gaining. It comes into play in a number of different ways. One, I know if it's a longer climb, I need to settle in, I need to climb patiently and just stay within myself. Or in the case of my recent experience at Big Sugar Gravel, as I was seeing that these climbs were shorter in nature, I knew exactly sort of how many candles I could burn as I was attacking them. Attacking them being a generous term for any of my performance in any event I do these days. Anyway, it was super valuable to know what kind of vert was in front of me. And that climber feature has just always been something I've taken to. The other big thing that I really enjoy has been the navigation features. I mean, it is something that the Karoo 2 has always offered in spades above and beyond anything else out there in in the marketplace. Based on an Android operating system, it kind of has the same kind of mapping capabilities that you see on your phone. So very visual, very easy to see trails and roads and where they lead to, pinch and zoom, and everything you'd expect from a phone, you get there right there on the screen. It also has a super cool feature I've mentioned before, which is sort of a find my way home feature. Whereas if you're kind of mucking around and, and a little bit lost, you can just kind of press this button, return to start, and it's going to navigate you directly to your home or the place where you started the ride. The other thing I just saw pushed to me in the latest software update was a choice of preferred terrain. So now layering on top, oh, hey, I want to ride home on gravel versus pavement is going to give you different results. So I thought that was super cool. And it's another feature that I've always loved from the team at Hammerhead is just the idea that you have software updates. Every two weeks, I feel like I'm getting something pushed to the device that's adding a new feature. And I get an email describing it. And some of them, you know, background improvements or something that's maybe only applicable if you have a power meter but other ones super applicable, like this choice of terrain. I always like to be able to tell my computer that if you're routing me somewhere, take me on the dirt. 
because that's what I'm all about. So anyway, as we approach this holiday season, if you're looking for a new cycling GPS computer, I highly recommend checking out Hammerhead. They're at hammerhead.io. For Gravel Ride podcast listeners, they're throwing in a free heart rate monitor strap. So just make sure to put it in your cart and add the code THEGRAVELRIDE to any of your Hammerhead purchases for that Karoo 2 computer. With that business behind us, let's jump right into my conversation with Randall. Randall, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Craig. It's been a bit. We've both been yeah, traveling. Been, How you been? Yeah, I've been I've been okay. You know, life continues to throw on challenges in front of me and haven't been on the bike as much as I'd like, but happy to be here, happy to be chatting bikes for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I've been very much looking forward to it. Um you've been you were in Girona for a bit and I think you were in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas before that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I stacked all my trips into one period of time, which turned out to be more stressful than I would have liked from a family dynamic perspective. It seemed like I was gone all the time. And I think in the weeks preceding my Bentonville trip, there was like a local group ride that I had to like, wanted to prioritize and kind of block off some time away from the family then. And then in between Bentonville and Girona, there was a couple things that seemed like it was all about Craig when I, you know, obviously mm. I want to be a, uh, you know, equal participant in my family life as, as my wife. Yeah, I can, uh, I don't have the same family obligations, um, for better or for worse, uh, but can definitely relate to packing all of one's travels all in one go and having that be, um, while effective, uh, requiring some recovery. I was on the road for three and a half weeks in my case and never yeah. stayed in the same place more than a couple of days. That's a lot. And I want to hear yeah. about the trip because I kept seeing it pop up in the ridership, like where you were and shouting out locals and, you know, bringing people together. So it, it sounds like it was an exciting trip and I'm super excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Well, let's hear about Bentonville first, because that's a place that I've explored a little bit, but really want to spend some more time in. You were there for what? Big Sugar? I was there for Big Sugar and I was able to go down there. I actually went for the People for Bikes conference. So as as some people know, I, I do spend some time with a, a nonprofit called Bike Index, bikeindex.org, a little plug for everybody out there. It's a bicycle registry and stolen bike recovery platform. People for Bikes is sort of the biggest nonprofit advocacy organization in the industry by my likes. And they put together a conference called Shift and another one in the spring. But Shift was in Bentonville and I saw the opportunity, hey, if I can if I'm already getting to Bentonville, I should go to that conference on behalf of Bike Index. And it was super fruitful and interesting. A lot of interesting topics. There was there was a, a big thread around diversity and inclusion, which is an important topic in the cycling industry, and an additional thread about sustainability and climate, which again, important across all industries if we want to keep doing what we're doing out there in the world. So that was like a really valuable add-on two days to that trip. I'm kind of curious, because um, actually I didn't realize that you had gone to that conference. Uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the the topics and the angles and and so on. That experience, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably have to bring up the uh, the uh, agenda to kind of give you a full a couple months out. Now my brain is a little foggy, but on the sustainability front, it was great. They had a, an expert who had written a book about bringing sustainability into the cycling industry, and I can mm -hmm. share that in the show notes, and I'll certainly share it with you personally. Um, we went through an exercise of like 
how would you reinvent your business with a sustainability angle? How do you think about bicycle ownership differently? Mm. How do you think about supply chains differently? And what are the net effects, both positive and negative, to either your price point or your customer relationship? And I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I was in a group with the Bike Flights team. So Bike Flights provides a service to ship bikes from, from one place to another. And they have these cardboard boxes. You can use either like one of your own or you can actually buy a box from them, which is ideally reusable. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's only reusable to a certain extent. So we were yeah. just sort of riffing on, well, how could you extend the reusability of that? How could you use different materials for that with achieving the same result of getting your point, your bike from point A to point B safely without damage? I'd be curious if you, um, I'd be curious to read the report and pull out, you know, one or a couple of the experts potentially to bring on, because it's something that we're thinking about as well. And so, you know, we take the opportunity for for us to learn while at the same time sharing what's going on with uh, the listenership. That's a great idea. I'll definitely, yeah. I can definitely connect you with the author of that book. The other interesting thing we were riffing about, and as we're both wearing our logos caps today, um, <laughs> we were talking about, I was talking with another wheel manufacturer and we were talking about, okay, you deliver the wheels in a box. What could that box be used for down the line? Like, is there anything in the garage that it could be converted to that you have like, you know, sort of Lego style instructions of like, cut your box in this way. And all of a sudden you can, you know, have a a wheel stand, for example, you know, if you can imagine if you cut holes in the box, you might be able to like drop the wheels in and that would be a cool way to display your extra set of wheels. You know, um, that's actually brilliant in that, um, this will, we'll talk about this in a moment, but we're in the process of uh, building out our dealer network, our, our shop network. Uh, that was the the, per- the main purpose of this recent trip. And one of the things that kept coming up was like, how do I display this in a really attractive way in my shop? And so that would be a really great development exercise where it's like the box that it comes in gets, you know, has some perforations and you, yeah. you, know, you cut it and you fold it. And all of a sudden it is this really interesting display stand with a story. I like yeah. that a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Good. I look forward to seeing that. So that was super interesting. You know, I always, whenever I, you know, I do, I've done business development in my career for, for ages and conferences are sort of the bane of my existence because you have to go to them and you think you're going to meet so-and-so, but you never necessarily do. But it's important to show up because you do make these random connections that always yield value. So I feel like a couple of those were made. Yeah, it's the thing that I, I uh, one of the things I mourn most about COVID is, um, you know, I'm one of these people who loves going to trade shows. So like I used to go, you know, I still go to Sea Otter every year, haven't been to Asia in years. Uh, some folks who are listening will know that I lived in Asia a number of years, uh, mostly in China, um, and I'm a Mandarin speaker and like was doing some, uh, you know, sourcing and product development work for various companies, both in and out of bike. And it's, it's a big part of me and, and those relationships are not just great professional relationships where interesting ideas emerge out of, but also, you know, people I really care about, you know, people whose families I know um, and people I've stayed with. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that um, I'm really looking forward to in 2023 is attending more of those uh, conferences and trade events and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it's so critical, I think, when you've sort of broken bread with someone and then do business with them, you're just so much more likely to be successful in that relationship. 
Well, you start to understand people at a different level when, say, you know, you're with the owner of this very large factory and you're trying to understand each other and you do so over a cheap bowl of noodles at his favorite noodle shop down the street from the factory. And that's, and you know, you just, or you, you know, you have uh, dinner with him and his wife and, and kids or her and her you know family or what have you, uh, which is the sort of thing that used to happen all the time uh, pre-COVID. And hopefully Taiwan is open. Um, and so Taipei will be uh, in person this year, it looks like in March. China is still closed uh, effectively, unless you want to quarantine and risk being stuck there for you know, yeah. months on end. But, but showing some signs, I was just listening to an economist this morning, showing some signs of easing their zero COVID policy, which is interesting. It's interesting. And uh, th there's a whole, if we want to get into uh, geopolitics and so on, there's a whole conversation we could have there about um, how that, that might go. They have a huge unvaccinated elderly population. So that's a, a huge concern. And they've largely uh, uh, rejected, you know, more effective Western developed vaccines in yeah. favor yeah, of the thing. less effective homegrown ones, and they haven't deployed them. And and so, um, yeah, and, and there's reasons for that. That is, is uh, again, a whole conversation on geopolitics yeah. we don't yeah. need to dive into. Um, Indeed. The final thing I'll mention about People for Bikes is that they did reveal some statistics around sort of the bike industry and some of the things we already knew about the, the sort of ebb and flow of supply chain constraints and how early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of people flooding to cycling. Then some of the supply chain finally caught up and and then there became a little bit of a glut of bicycles in some categories out there in the market. Then now combined with a softening of demand, the, the sort of supply and demand curves look really funny over the years. And they're sort of very mm. in synchronous, um, out of synchronicity. And I think we'll continue to be that way because now with an impending recession, potentially, it's just it's going to be interesting to see where supply meets demand in this coming period. Yeah, and we also are in the lull of the season because you know when people talk about the bike industry, um, oftentimes they're talking about the upper end. You know, and, and when I say upper end, I mean anything that's not a department store bike. So like you know anything you'd buy at a bike shop. So like a bike that's you know has a minimum level of spec at least maybe four hundred dollars and above. Um, yeah. And you know the there's there's a cycle for that, and most of those that level of bike is is in the northern hemisphere. And so as the winter approaches, like demand always goes down anyways. So the question is, what will it look like in April when, yeah. you know, the next season is kicking in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So super fascinating stuff. And you mentioned and then uh, about diversity as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I, you and I were talking offline, like how difficult it is to find, say, women who work in the industry to interview for the podcast at times, I was saying it like it's easy to find women athletes, which mm -hmm. is great to see. But often, I think there's just it's just been such a male dominated industry. So there's certainly discussion around gender inclusion, but more kind of race and ethnicity inclusion. Mm -hmm. We had the founder of Legion Bicycle, Justin Williams, just talking about um, you know just showing younger athletes, younger black athletes that. There is a world where they're included in mm -hmm. the space. In you know, he's got an interesting vision around you know rebuilding city-based criterium racing and creating a league and providing ownership to the riders, which I think is fascinating. 
there's a lot of stuff going on. It just, you know, it's always depressing how long these initiatives take to really show some impact. It does take a long time to get a critical mass of people who say, you know, look like me, whatever, you know, whatever your me looks like. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, that makes sense. And um, for anyone listening, hearing us talk about how it can be difficult to find, you know, uh, women or minority, uh, well, uh, yeah, people of color um, to represent uh, the industry to bring on the pod. If you have ideas, please reach out and let us know. You can let us know in the ridership, in the, um, the Gravel Ride podcast uh, channel, um, or drop us an email. Um, is, there's an email set up for the pod, I recall. There's not. There might there's have not. been. Okay. <laughs> Well, anyways, reach you know out to, where to find us. Yeah, you know how to find us. Find Craig or I, because um, always looking for uh, people to have interesting conversations with, and we definitely have a few in the queue. Um, all right, so Bentonville, and then uh, how about the event itself? Yeah, so great event. I mean, I really enjoyed it. it. Not my. It was the terrain. I did the Little Sugar event at Big Sugar. Big Sugar Gravel is the final of the Lifetime Grand Prix series for the year, but it's also been running. I think. It, this might have been the third year this thing actually went off. Anyway, Bentonville, great community, embraces cycling in a big way. Very kind of undulating, so a lot of short, punchy climbs, which isn't necessarily what I'm trained for. If you can call <laughs> what I am trained for anything. But the terrain was, I mean, it was loose and rocky. I had my my RockShock equipped titanium bike with 700 by 45s on it. I felt super confident. And it showed anytime it went downhill on the course, I was rifling by people. You know, I also have a dropper post. I was looking, you know, people were looking incredibly nervous as I was just absolutely flying by them. And I was talking to a friend after the fact, and I mentioned, like, I felt like I was racing, which felt good. I like, honestly, Mm. I haven't felt like I was racing in a long time and it wasn't intentional. I didn't go in with a lot of fitness, but by happenstance, it was a, a road a road rollout, so we were on pavement, and there was uh, Molly Cameron, who's a tran- transgender athlete, a friend of mine, was out in sort of the front of the pack, and there was a few quick step pros from Europe over there, and I was just kind of curious to kind of be around them, and I wanted to say hi to Molly, so I am fairly comfortable riding in packs, and I got to the front, and I front ish, I would say, like top twenty percent of, of riders. And I started to realize that I knew there was a heavy, heavy choke point, not like eight miles in where it had to go. You had to, everybody had to go down to sort of almost a single track. And it was a gully that was going to give people some trepidation. And so I found myself in the top 20% there and I can only imagine the carnage that happened behind me. Yeah. Because Randall, I finished 40th or something out of 400. (laughs) <laughs> and I rode, I rode hard to my ability. I was fortunate. It was super windy. I was fortunate that like, I, I was always riding with at least one other per- person. And occasionally we'd balloon up to, you know, 10 people or whatever, but I was riding hard over every hill. I certainly was riding the descents hard to catch back on when I was getting dropped, but I just wasn't getting passed by people. And it started to dawn on me that something some carnage happened back there because no one was catching me this entire day. That's um, I've actually used 
the course profiles like that to my advantage in my racing days. It's like, okay, here's a course that starts on a big climb and at the top of the climb goes into a tight single track where no one can pass. I'm going to be at the top of the climb first and then I'm going to hopefully someone behind me is a lousy technical rider. Yeah. It's almost yeah. the only thing that mattered. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for you. I mean, there was, Nonetheless, there was like, it's, yeah. it takes something to, to be in the, in the front for that long anyway. So bravo. Yeah. So it was, it was fun. Like I, I just like, I felt good about myself on the bike and it was granted it was the shorter course or whatever, but it was fun. And it just sort of reminded me that, you know, getting out there and having sort of just the encouragement of event day to go a little harder, go a little deeper is just something I enjoy. It's a very different experience, like psychologically going, being in an event or even being, uh, you know, as I experienced in, in Boulder in particular on a, on a spirited group ride and just having to hold on, right? Knowing like, oh, not, it's not only th- that you want to finish the overall event um, in a good time and, and be towards the front, but if you get dropped, you're going to be out in the wind on your own. And so you're <laughs> just like holding on to that wheel. Uh, for dear life, knowing that as hard as that is, it's going to be that much worse the moment a gap uh, opens up and you're just doing half the speed on your own. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, that went through my mind constantly in, yeah. in Bentonville. I was just like, I, it doesn't matter. Bury yourself because if you fall off this wheel, it, it. it's going to be, you know, it's you're going to be, be out here a lot longer. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, is it, I, you know, in some, I know we got, a, we have a short amount of time and, and ground to cover, but I, I really liked Bentonville. I really liked the big sugar gravel event. I, I definitely recommend it. If you're a mountain biker, there's so much terrain down there to yeah. ride. Um, one, one real, just funny anecdote to talk about like Bentonville as a cycling community. I was staying at a hotel a couple miles kind of away from downtown. And as I was riding back and this happened two or three times, I would come to a crosswalk on a bike path and there'd be a car in the way, not doing anything malicious, just kind of peeking out, trying to f- make their turn. And the car would back up. And I was just, I was just like shocked like, <laughs> of, the, of the courtesy did, towards bicyclists. Did they honk at you? Did they throw anything? There was no gestures, maybe even just like a friendly gesture, like, oh, I'm sorry I was yeah. in your way. Yeah. it's um, I've visited uh, Bentonville. I have uh, some friends uh, who moved down that way. In part for in, in no small part for the reason that you're citing there, the infrastructure there is incredible. There's um, a lot of Walton money, so a lot of Walmart money, because uh, that's their headquarters that's gone into. I mean, some of the like I've seen bridges that go over you know small little uh, gaps that you know you could just ride down, ride up the other side, and like these ornate you know wrought iron bridges that are uh, done you know by a local artist. You know, there's, there's um, real architecture in there. And yeah. uh yeah, this is just a, a lot of investment in that scene and it shows and it's pretty cool that you know you're starting to see some big events down there. Uh did you bump yeah. into uh Ben Delaney perchance or um no I no I didn't. I okay. think I might have saw him down there, but I didn't speak to him. I ran it to a bunch of other journalists along oh, the okay. way now. Uh I I saw him in uh in Boulder. Uh, he has his the ride with uh Ben Delaney. YouTube channel. So I know that he had done yeah. a video from there. So curious if you cross yeah. paths. Yeah, um, exactly. And then not a few weeks later, I found myself finally going to Girona in Spain. Tell me about it. Yeah, that's, so a, that's a place that keeps coming up in conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, gosh, it was two years in the making. I've been talking to Trek Travel about joining their Girona gravel bike tour, a uh, five-day trip out of Girona. Um, finally, you know, due to COVID delays, it finally happened. I had a couple of buddies from the Bay Area join me. We were a group of six. We had two great guides, Mickey and Rafa. Mickey was a local, so he kind of knew all the little goat paths and different ways. In fact, you know, we were given... We were able to use Trek bicycles for the entire trip, and we had a GPS from Garmin that had all the routes on it. But oftentimes when we were going out of town, if Mickey was leading us, he would just take us through the little goat path and the little trails, which were a heck of a lot of fun. Girona appears to have gravel in every direction and mm -hmm. a lot of different style gravels. You know, they set us up on these Trek Demones with a 35C tire, so, you know, very small tire and very kind of road plusy setup from yeah. compared to what, what you and I normally ride, but the bikes were, were very capable and a ton of fun for the type of gravel we were experiencing. We did a few rides out to the Mediterranean coast, which was amazing, but then got into some technical stuff. And what I, what I really enjoyed about the trip was that there was a little bit of everything. It was clear the way they designed the days that they could sort of test people's appetite and their metal and their experience for, you know, the days that would come as they did get progressively more technical. Mm. Well, I would imagine it's challenging if you, like if they have a, a more eclectic group of people who don't yeah. know each other and, you know, you, you really, I wonder if they do some uh, pre-screening before they put uh, people on a ride together to make sure that the abilities are, are roughly equal because when they vary, widely, uh, you end up, you know, going at the pace of whomever the slowest rider is, which is fine yeah. for a certain type of riding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I did acknowledge that. And I spoke to the guides a little bit about that. And we did feel fortunate that although we did have some varying ability levels in the group, um, a couple of the riders decided to stop at lunch one day and get in the van or opted to do tourist things one day and not actually ride. So it did feel very much like the pace was dictated by myself and my my close friends mm. more than anything else. Nice, which was nice. nice. Um, you know, I think on one day we had a guide all to ourselves, so it was just like ripping around Spain and doing doing what we do. And they, they were very gracious about like if we didn't have enough riding in any given day, we just we would just go out and ride more, and our <laughs> our guide would give us an additional route. So I think on two occasions we we set out in the afternoon after coming back from our, you know, our group ride. So am I right in saying that the terrain was like a lot of hard pack, relatively smooth given the, the equipment that you were on? Yeah. So yes, in that there's a lot of kind of rails to trails activity, like long stretches of, of, of former rail lines that are now just basically smooth bike paths that just mm -hmm. go from, from miles and miles, but then some, some fairly chunky, gravel climbs, um, and some fairly technical loose descents. Honestly, like I, I felt like it was maybe a bit more challenging than I would have thought would have been designed, but they okay. always had out outs for people. I think, uh -huh. you know, if you didn't, if you didn't want to do a certain section or feeling a little bit too beat up. So I was pleasantly surprised. I think I did an episode about it just kind of with my contemporaneous thoughts that I recorded while in Girona and, you know, on, on, uh, I think it was day three or four. Like it was very similar to riding Tam. Like we were on some steep descents. Hmm. I was I was wishing for my dropper post because yeah. it was getting a little bit of loose, a little bit loose. 
granted, like with the 35 C tires, maybe if I was on my bigger tire bike, it would have been like, I would have experienced it differently, but still like I felt reasonably challenged and satisfied with it. Sounds outstanding. And, um, you would, I think it was you who sent me the picture of you and Russ from Pathless Pedals. So how random is this? So I'm, I'm out, we're sort of halfway through, I think day four, we had just done a climb that is apparently is George Hinkapi's favorite climb on the road after traversing to it on the dirt. And then we did this big dirt road climb and I was feeling spicy and I, I wanted to, I, I jokingly said to my friend, if, if Rafa, our guide's responsibility is to stay with the lead rider, I'm going to make it really hard for today. <laughs> and I was just on a day, like I was feeling strong. And so I attacked on the climb, attacked, you know, but I just felt good and, and was pushing the pace. And I decided since I had the GPS, I was just going to keep going. So I'm like 45 minutes to the top of this climb. And I see a couple riding by me and, you know, Russ is, Russ often rides in flannel. He's mm-hmm. got a, uh, you know, fishing a, a, shirts. Yeah. And he's got a, you know, he's got that uh, bike bag a certain way. Like he's got a visual aesthetic to -hmm. him that if you've seen him ride, you, you know, you kind of recognize it, recognize him. And it, it, I was like, God, I know that guy, but he went by and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that was Russ at Pathless pedaled, but I didn't, didn't, wasn't able to connect with him. And then the next, was it the next day? I, I, I pass him in the town of Girona when we're both riding in different directions and I yell pathless pedaled and I sort of see him acknowledge, but like, we cannot stop. Like we're just not in a position to. And so I'm like, I've confirmed it's him. And then later on that afternoon, I actually run into him <laughs> and Laura and was able to chat and grab a picture with him. And he, he they've been over there a, a month as Jerona as a base camp. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah. I got a, um, I got an email from him one day just with a picture of him at Tata bikes, which is a a really cool shop in Girona. Um, they're, they're built in, did you visit their shop, their facility? I I didn't visit that shop. It's built in out of an old building. So it's like this beautiful stone, uh, building right in the heart of things. Um, and they happen to have a fleet of our bikes for rentals. And so Russ had a picture of himself with our, with our bikes at Tata. Uh, which I thought was was pretty sweet. Um, I love it. And, I yeah, love it. yeah. So much, such a great cycling community. I and mean, we visited the new Castelli Community Store there, mm. and uh, we happened upon them when they were bringing together a night ride, and we were all kicking ourselves for not having lights because it looked like it was going to be a heck of a lot of fun. There's probably like 30 riders there, and I have a snippet on the last episode with my conversation with Oscar, who's the manager there, and really cool. And lots of different local brands there. And it's, you know, it's just, it's fun to like go to a restaurant and then have bike hooks for you. Those little details that happen when you're in a, you know, a cycling first community. Yeah, that, that sounds outstanding. I need, really need to make it out there before too long. Yeah. Highly recommend Girona. Hopefully I can get back at some point, but I know we're pressed for time and I, I definitely want to hear about your trip. Sure. So uh, three and a half weeks on the road, uh, started in Boston, where I'm now based, and was in Austin, Texas, Denver and Boulder, then in Reno, and then uh, stopped in Sacramento and route to the Bay Area. Uh, again, seldom staying in the place for same place for more than a couple of days. Um, and it was a, a mix of uh, visiting bike shops. So we're in the process of building a network of shops for Logos and uh, eventually for Thesis, which 
By the way, uh, anyone who's interested in our wheels who wants to buy them from a local shop, drop us a note and uh, with your local shop and um, the wheels you want, and we'll reach out and we'll get that taken care of for you. Uh, so awesome. really focusing on um, you know collaboration with with these shops that are so you know critical to supporting the ride experience. Uh, and just and for then, uh, so the, the, I know we've talked about the wheel set on the, the wheel sets yeah. on the podcast before, but just for as a refresher, what sizes and styles do you have available? Uh, so 650, 700, 29. Okay. And we'll be introducing some more in each of those sizes coming up. And then we have, uh, you know, various end cap solutions, free hubs and so on for people who have different drivetrains. Uh, and we have a very particular philosophy, which if you're interested, we did do uh, you and I an episode on what makes a great wheel set. Uh, where we go uh, deep into the weeds there. Uh, you can find that a few episodes back. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was wonderful. Just like getting to, one, get a sense of the landscape once again, and two, you know, really sitting down with uh, small business owners and understanding like, you know, what's their experience? How did they get into this? Uh, what is the nature of their business? And seeing all the different ways in which people serve um, their particular part of the cycling community. Uh, and understanding how did you, economics uh, and so on. How did you decide where you were going and what shops to visit? Was it led by the shops you wanted to visit or the locations you wanted to to have a presence? Uh, a mix of both. So Austin was somewhat opportunistic. I had uh, a couple of friends who just had their second kiddo. And so I wanted to to play with the toddler and, and hold the, the, the newborn while they were both on leave. Uh, and then, you know, visited a, a co-founder on another project while there. Uh, and then was in Denver and Boulder. That was, um, again, got a bunch of friends in that area. I haven't been there since the pandemics, uh, or at least haven't spent a good amount of time there since the pandemic. Um, and Were a you... lot of the cycling media is centered in Boulder. So meeting with a, yeah. a bunch of, you know, industry people and journalists. Nice. Yeah. Were you, uh, were you driving the Prius? No, no, I, I flew this time. I'm, okay. <laughs> I don't really care. I've done the cross country drive eight times now, um, between my racing days. And then when I was, you know, moving out to the West coast and when I moved back this way and, uh, yeah, I could see doing it again at some point, maybe, you know, with a, with a partner some years down the road when you, know, you could do van life for a few months, but yeah, yeah. Um, rent, rent were cars at, were needed. Were you traveling with, with three wheel sets? Just the one. I had the 650s with a, a byway semi-slick in the rear and a, a Venture um, file tread up front. And that was my yeah. everything wheel set, which worked out well. Though I'll say that in the Denver Boulder area, um, the so I, I joined uh, several group rides out there. People are fast. People are yeah, super fast. And the terrain uh, that, that the group rides are on is generally pretty tame. So, you know, a uh, mix of road, Hard packed dirt roads. Uh, even the single track is not overly technical. Um, I did hit a little bit of a, a technical single track uh, with actually Ben Delaney, who I just mentioned. Uh, him and I rode together while I was out there, and but um, yeah, I was definitely uh, was riding with a, some people on you know full on road bikes and could have used that little bit of extra edge yeah. as it was. I I did the A rides because uh, I have the pride of a former racer, I suppose. Uh, but was definitely just holding on for dear life a good chunk of the time. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. So you bring, you brought your bike along with you? Yeah. 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 Well? Yeah. So yeah. brought the bike nice. along, group rides, visiting with friends, 
rolling into shops, talking, talking with shop, uh, uh, team members and owners and so on. Um, some really cool shops, uh, that I got to visit, uh, in that area. And then Reno was visiting friends. Um, again, a few shops out that way, but, uh, in terms of activities, trail running and so on in the mountains outside of there, uh, and did some hiking in, in Tahoe, which is stunning, um, at all times of year, but I had never been in winter. Uh, there was already quite a bit of snow that we were hiking on in, in spikes, uh, and then the Bay Area, which was, I was all over the Bay. Uh, yeah, so bummed to miss that, you being out here. That sucked. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be out this way. I'll be out your way again before too, too long at the latest uh, sea otter. And uh, yeah. probably the highlight of that trip uh, was put on like a, just just put out there uh, a ridership SF um, ride meetup and probably had 25 or so people show up. And nice. it was great. A lot of people who uh, I haven't haven't met before, a few friends, a few people I've known for a while, um, yeah. and then some people I've interacted with over email and so on, uh, or seen in the ridership. And uh, everyone was stoked to be there, and it was really neat to see. Um, we did the Headlands, and then out to Tennessee Valley. So revisiting these areas that I used to ride twice a week. You know, when I was developing the OB One, that those were the the uh, the. Uh, the test loop. Uh, and yeah. then just when everyone was out for pizza uh, afterwards, just seeing people really connecting and exchanging numbers and taking photos and all that. And it was just such a great vibe. And um, I remember when you and I used to do such things, uh, host rides together. And so let's definitely make it a point to do that next time I'm out your way. Yeah. 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 I feel like, I mean, gosh, I can't believe it's December and looking back at the lack of group rides I tried to put together this year, because I really do enjoy it. And it's just, like I said, it's not it's not about the riding; it's just about the people. We also um, we used the so we're still kind of playing around with this uh, Mighty Networks tool um, for like a, a 2.0 version of the ridership that's not in Slack. And so, like organizing the event in there actually made things a lot easier. So when the okay. time comes, kind of you market it however you want to market it, and then uh, just create the actual event and link to it. Um, in the ridership.org. And if anyone else is looking to either organize group rides or manage their clubs, we have a couple of clubs that are managing their teams uh, within uh, the ridership.org. Uh, if you have any questions on it, just drop us a note in the current ridership. But um, that that actually proved really effective. Were you able to do like w messaging to the people who had registered for the ride? You can do messaging. Uh, people who are registered can also put in comments and so on. Um, okay. and for coordination, uh, you can, you know, if you send an update, everyone can get emailed, uh, you can have all the, the ride details in the, uh, invite as well. You see who has signed up, uh, and you can share with people who are outside of the network though, to, to RSVP, you just have to create a login. Everything is free. It's really straightforward. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a useful tool. Um, and nice. I'm, I'm glad you were able to go through that. I know like, you know, we've, we certainly put in many hours in developing that prototype over there and glad to see you using it and getting that real world kind of experience of like, is this tool beneficial to the community? Yeah, it's the sort of thing where I think the events are the most obvious application where anyone can start using it immediately. And um, and again, for, for club membership, of which events is a, a, a you know a critical component, uh, it's great for that. And again, free, just get your people in there. Um, if you're, if you're a club manager, then, uh, reach out, we'll create a separate space. It's almost like having, um, like your own private Facebook. If Facebook didn't have like algorithmic feed and like 
was wasn't extracting all your data and would just leave you the hell yeah. alone. Um, and without all the the advertising and fluff and everything else, it's literally just like your own defined space where you can you know coordinate communications amongst your teams and and manage events. You could even have your membership in there uh, if you want membership dues and so on. The platform supports that, uh, so it's a really neat platform. And each club can have its own either club or if you're an event organizer, um, you can have your own space within the broader ridership. That is, you know, it can be private or public. Uh, it's pretty cool. So yeah. it's going to invest some more time in it now that we've got Logos launched and I have a little bit more bandwidth. Yeah. I know the vision's always been to just create a, a, a safe community place for people who love bikes. Yeah. And you know, have it devoid of distractions. Like you're coming there just to enjoy bikes in the community. Yep. No one's going to advertise to you. No one's going to try to draw you away. It's not meant to be a time sink. I mean, one of our core shared value is, is that we want people to get outside. We're not, yeah. we've never looked to kind of create a community to keep people in front of their computers. We want to quite, if quite the contrary. Computer, yeah, quite exactly. The we want this to be inspirational to get outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, a vehicle for connection. You know, yeah. As, as with 100%. all things we try to do. Um, yeah, the, the last thing I'll share is I visited Enduro Bearings, visited their, uh, oh, their facility. facility. Yeah. And um, it. it's not their main, they, they have um, other manufacturing facilities, um, but got to tour the warehouse and see the testing that they're doing um, on their bearings and comparison testing and so on. And uh, it was a really great experience. Uh, it was with Matt Harvey, who I had on the pod before, if you haven't yeah. heard that episode, um, a lot of deep nerdery on on uh, bearings. And then Rick Sutton, who you've spoken to before as a representative of um, uh, Handlebar Coefficient Cycling. cycling. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to bring on again to talk about his founding of Sea Otter. Uh, and he's also oh, yeah. with, uh, you know, helping Enduro with marketing, but got to go really, really that much deeper in the weeds on um, how bearings are designed and the materials and the testing regimens and all this other stuff. Uh, and it just made me that much more impressed with their XD15 offering. It's the only bearing that they've tested. And I, I looked at the tests and it's a, it's a robust protocol. The only bearing they've tested that gets better as you use it. Pretty much every bearing, every bearing degrades and, and generally degrades um, somewhat quickly and it gets better yeah, over it's, time. It's so fascinating when you, when you meet these individuals who are so focused on their specific craft, their specific part of the industry. And you realize like a generalist could never produce a product as good as this person who is obsessed over this thing for their entire career. Uh, yeah. Well, and even, even if you, even then you could be obsessed your entire career, but in, you know, in their case, um, you know, getting access to that alloy, they're buying this in like solid bar stock and machining away like 97, 98% of it to make these races out of this XD 15 steel, which is the, the designation of the particular alloy. Um, and you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's really cool stuff. And worth it, frankly. Like I have, I now have an XD15 bottom bracket in my bike, and that'll probably be the last bottom bracket I ever own. It's going to get transferred to other bikes. <laughs> yeah. So so cool. So cool. Yeah. All so. right, my friend. Amazing to catch up. I wish we had more time today, but we'll do this again soon. Sounds good. Cheers. Be well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I appreciate you spending a little bit of your December with us this year. Big thanks to Hammerhead and the crew too 
for sponsoring this episode. And be sure to use the code THEGRAVELRIDE for that free heart rate monitor strap when you order your new Karoo 2 computer. If you're interested in connecting with myself or Randall, please join us in The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. It's a free global cycling community with a lot of great conversations going on every day. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. All your support is greatly appreciated. And if you have a moment, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Thank you.